With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I'm Damon Martin. I'm your host. And this week, we got a surprise guest host and actually a guy who I have on uh, pretty frequently, actually. But he uh, came in as a pinch hitter this week, and it's much appreciated because I'm sure you saw the news as of uh, yesterday that Josiah Harrell is stepping in to fight Jack Della Maddalena at UFC 290. Big fight for him. But Josiah Harrell happens to be trained by none other than my normal co-host, the immortal Matt Brown. So Matt is scrambling to get Josiah ready uh, to fight on a week's notice in his UFC debut against an absolute killer in Jack Della Maddalena. So I am happy to welcome back one of my favorite people to speak to and one of the top analysts in the sport, Alan Joban. Alan, how are you? I'm good, man. I, I'm glad you called me. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get going. As you know, I'm I'm not a technical, you know, an electrical technical guy. (laughs) I could not get my microphone started this morning, but we got it rocking and rolling, man. I've been gone for like two weeks doing shows, so I'm happy to be back home getting to relax this time. I was watching I was watching the UFC card this past weekend with Sean Strickland. You were on the desk, and as soon as Matt texted me, I was like, okay, who can I get on last minute notice? Why not text the guy who was literally just working 24 hours ago to see if he wants to step in and do the show with me? So I really do appreciate it. You've been traveling like a madman, uh, doing some great analysts, working out at the UFC, so I'm sure you're happy just to be home for a couple of days. Happy to be home, man. Happy to be here. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Well, obviously, this weekend, UFC 290, now a matter of days away. Of course, Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Yair Rodriguez in the main event. And, of course, Brandon Moreno taking on Alexandre Pantoja in the co-main event. Um, two fights that are absolute bangers, incredible matchups. For Moreno, it's a chance of revenge. He's had two losses in the past to Pantoja. And, of course, Yair's been on a great run lately. The big win over Josh Emmett to become interim champion. Uh, just on, in general, what do you think about UFC 290? I think it's a pretty pretty good card. It, it's a good um, it's a good card. It's it's a, it's a stacked card in terms of um, 
I mean, legitimate fights, le- legitimate contender fights, as you just said. I mean, Yair Rodriguez. I mean, he's went out and and he's earned his stripes as of lately, getting that 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 um interim title and and showing that he's not just this very versatile striker. He's this guy that has been leveling up year after year. I've always noticed his wrestling game has gotten better and better. Showing his submission game more so as of lately to get that win over Emmett and, and earn this shot at the title, and then and then you look at the co-main. I mean, this is probably the one that I'm I'm most eager about just because they have that backstory with Pantoja already beating Moreno two times. I mean, and 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 I believe if I'm correct, the two times that Brandon Moreno was pretty much taken cut from the UFC. I say cut from the UFC twice because. Pantoja beat him on the Ultimate Fighter, so that kind of took his opportunity, right? And then when he got back into the UFC, his loss was to um, Moreno's was lost to his Pantoja as well, and then he got cut again. Now you see how well he's done. He's he's the champion, and I mean he's been leveling up his game. But this is his chance. To, it's very much Damon. Like in my eyes, I view this fight uh, like Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pojeda. Is this a guy that that he just has his number? He has Moreno's number, and that's just it's just. You know, it's just it is the way it is. Something about his style matches up very good with Moreno's. Or has Moreno finally figured out how to beat Pantoja as he just leveled up his game and looked at enough film and also going to enough, which we can get into, going to enough different camps and coaches that are inputting all this new advice. It feels like let's just get into the flyweight title fight where we talk about anything else in the card because I'm I'm super excited. I think this is an incredibly tough matchup to, to pick because Pantoja has been on a really good run looking really, really solid. He had to, you know, wait. Of course, we had to go through four fights with, with Moreno and Figueredo, which is going to go down as one of the best rivalries in the lighter weight classes of all time. But he had to kind of bide his time to get here. Definitely earned it. But this feels like to me, Alan, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like it does feel like, you know, a much different fight now because when Moreno fought, when Moreno fought Pantoja originally on the Ultimate Fighter, he was so young. You know, he was the number sixteen seed on that show, taking on the number one seed, which was Pantoja. Again, gave him a super tough fight, scrappy, but you know, Pantoja won, and then UFC, you know, beat him again. Again, not lopsided necessarily, but beat him again. But that's the, it, it. Feels. Like, Pantoja's been near the top of this division pretty much since he got to the UFC. He's been that five, six, seven range pretty much his entire career. Moreno is kind of, as you said, leveled up every year. It seems like he's getting better and better. And it does feel like, yes, this is a rematch. Yes, this is technically a third fight. But it feels kind of night and day in terms of how far Brandon Moreno has come since those fights. Like, I'm not saying he can't use those things and, and, and Pantoja shouldn't you know, try to take advantage of the fact that he has two wins over the current champion. But in, in Moreno's eyes, in my eyes, like it feels like a lifetime ago since those fights happened. A, a thousand percent. I, it, it's hard to, to take, like the main story just seems how, how much better Moreno's gotten, right? Because you look at his last five fights have all been title fights. He's got more rematches than anyone in the UFC probably because he's got, as you said, four fights four fights with someone he's also fought kai car france twice before and this is a trilogy fight over uh, um over pantoja so he's got more experience than almost anyone when it comes to rematches in big title fights i mean not many people have done that and he has leveled up from brandon moreno being kind of just like an mma guy to brandon moreno coming back to the ufc and submitting one a submission artist that was the fight uh, smoker lewis smoker came back smoker was the heavy favorite um, Smoker was supposed to submit him. Smoker went to take him down and got submitted. To now, you look at a striking arsenal where he's got he's got such fast hands, very left side heavy approach. Um, he's gotten so good 
And as I mentioned earlier, he also has switched a lot of camps, which sometimes can be detrimental to fighters. I don't think so with Moreno. I think so. I think he was in his camp for a while and he had, you can, it's good to be loyal to coaches, Damon, but you can only absorb so much from them, their knowledge, right? And then it becomes almost like they know your their person, your personality. They know how to get the best out of you, but they're not really teaching you, giving you weapons anymore. It becomes like a, 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 a sensei type of feel where they know how to talk to you and they know that to get the best out of you. And you need those in certain points in your fighting. But if you want to continue to be the best, you have to evolve. You have to keep getting weapons. So Brandon Moreno, he went to James Krause for a year or so, right? Or not very long, but he was able to go there and learn a bunch of knowledge that didn't work out. Obviously, things happened with James Krause. Then he had to go, then he moved over and eyes with Safe Saud, another tremendous, like learning younger, kind of hungry coach, Safe Saud. And he's learning new things. So I think having as many tools in your belt as possible at this level is a better thing for Moreno than just being loyal to one coach at this time. And it wasn't necessarily the path that he chose, but it's the path that he has gone on and it's helped him extremely. You see in his game different little elements that he's been sprinkling in there. And Pantoja is not the same fighter either. When, when Pantoja was the guy that beat Brandon Moreno on the Ultimate Fighter, he was purely a knock him down, get in your face, rear naked choke guy. He would take the punch, give the punch, get the rear naked choke. When they fought again, he was very much the guy that was out striking Brandon Moreno. He was just using that pressure. And let me, let, might I add, on that first match between them, he kind of broke Moreno. I don't want to say, I don't want to say Moreno broke, but Moreno had a moment in that fight where he dropped his mouthpiece and they put the mouthpiece back in. And you could see him thinking, is this the end? Is this it? Like, I got no more left. He was that worst fear of all fighters, which is cardio. And he was tired. In a second round exhibition match, now you see where he's at mentally, how how confident Moreno is in his game. He goes five rounds with the best guys in the world, Figueredo, and doesn't even get tired. He fights in Mexico City five rounds. He doesn't get tired. He was tired in Vegas on a two-round exhibition. I really believe not only did he level up, his cardio, but it's just mindset. It's that championship quality. I think Teddy Atlas said it. When you become a champion, you get 30% better right there. It's like you hand me my black belt today. I'm not better than I was five minutes ago, but my confidence is there. My confidence is up. And now I know I have something that, that I have to I have to give it that respect. I, I can't make mistakes. Moreno can't make mistakes anymore. And honestly, that is the biggest key to this matchup. Moreno can't make a mistake for 25 minutes. It cost him in the first match. It cost him in the second. He didn't get finished in the second match, but he fell down a couple times and never got back up. He needs to not make any mistakes, fight perfect for 25 minutes, and it's a winnable fight. But <laughs> easier said than done when you have a guy like Robocop. That's not his nickname, but Pantoja, he comes forward like that. He's just fearless, and, and he'll always meet somebody head-to-head -head inside the octagon, and he wins every single one of those battles. I love what you said about the training camp because uh, not to get off subject here, but I've said for years, I said, I think that to me has been one of Conor McGregor's biggest detriments is that like, while I appreciate his loyalty to John Cavanaugh and they've had an incredible relationship, I also think in a way it's been a detriment to the growth of Conor McGregor that he's not getting pushed 
by better training partners, different training partners, and different coaches. I said, you know, I mean, obviously with the Khabib thing, but I was like, you know, I like putting him in like an AKA scenario. I'm like, man, how much better could he get if he had killers? You know, coming That's at him every day like that, or or you know, American Top Team, whatever the case is. Like I always said that about Connor. I love that you said about Brandon Moreno though, because you're absolutely right. Like he's still you know very loyal to his team down in Mexico, but he needed to level up, as we say, and so that. I think going to James Krause helped him, and I think Saif Saad is a great example of that, um, and also great training partners down there. That's an incredible gym with a lot of great fighters down there. So um, I, I I love that he's doing that, and I think that's going to be a benefit to him. And also, I, what I have to keep reminding myself with Brandon Moreno, and again, I'm not discrediting the Pantoja wins over him, but what I have to remember is Brandon Moreno grew up in the UFC. He was still learning how to be a fighter in the UFC, like that's a rare thing when you're that young and you're basically starting out and saying, oh, yeah, I, I need to learn how to do this. Or I need, like you talk about cardio, like cardio is the one thing, you know, that you can train for without being great at everything else. Right. Like you can, you may not know jujitsu, you may not know striking, but you can work your ass off and have good conditioning. But when you get in there, it's a whole other animal. And he didn't have that. Now he has that. He has that mentality. He has that 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 uh, that battle ready experience. And. Listen, I think Pantoja has been on the run. I think he's a monster, but I just I have a hard time picking against Brandon Moreno against any flyweight right now. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think you know, I you know, I know Brandon Roy Val is going to weigh in as the backup this weekend. I think that is a tremendous matchup. We did we didn't really get to see them fight the first time because Roy Val got injured. I think that's a really tremendous one. I think Manel Cops a guy I have my eye on a guy who can give anybody trouble in the flyweight division coming up. But right now, it's just like as good as Pantoja has been, I just think Moreno's on a little bit different level than everybody else right now. And so I, I lean towards Brandon Moreno. I don't I don't know that it's going to be a finish necessarily because Pantoja, as you said, is super tough. But I think he will yeah, give him I those think opportunities. I, I think you know Pantoja does come forward, as you mentioned, so he may give him that opportunity. But I think Moreno wins, and I just – Again, I just think he's on a – I think he's on a – like when he beat Figueredo, the the, the the two times he did beat him. Now, obviously, the one time was pretty lopsided, choked him out, all that kind of thing. The last one, though, I was so impressed by how he just – he showed improvements. Like he showed massive improvements from the last Figueredo fight to the final Figueredo fight, just like the Kai Car France fight. Like I thought that was going to be a super tough fight. He, I mean, he impressed me to know him because Kaikara France is really good and he just looked like a monster out there. So I just have a hard time picking against Brandon Moreno against anybody right now. And as good as Pantoja has been, I just think Moreno's a little bit better right now. Yeah. I mean, it, you have to think that Moreno is going to be the favorite going into this matchup. I mean, I don't know what the odds are right now, but just from us talking and people that know the sport, um, Moreno has showed more leveling up and stiffer competition in the years. And although, you know, the elephant in the room is that that Pantoja has two wins over him. If you look at another side of it, the losses that Pantoja has in the UFC, these are guys that Moreno either beat or went to a draw with. So the competition Moreno has passed those with some of the stiffer competition Pantoja hasn't. But, you know, I ran into Pantoja at the, um, at the PI, one of my last days when I was there doing the fights and um, just talking to him a little bit, I was telling him, I was like, man, he goes, you remember me from Black House? I go, yeah, dude, I remember when you came, you were just like mad at everybody looking. He's got that, he's got that like, <laughs> uh, like that uh, uh, Alex Pajeda kind of like, like no emotion and he fights like him too, you know? Um, but he goes, he goes, yes, 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 I know. He goes, but you know, I've finally 
learned to control my emotions. I've, I control my emotions now. I'm not going to get angry in this fight. I've never been more ready. And it was interesting to hear him say that because, A, you, you need to control your emotions in a fight. You fight better. But what I found almost contrary to that was he's a guy that when he gets he's a he's a he's a get back type of guy fighter right and so if you leg kick him he's gonna leg kick you if you meet him in the octagon and do max holloway get ready for hell because pantosha's coming forward and he never takes a step backwards so what i'm getting at as to my point he wins those battles i don't mind pantosha being emotional because i just did the breakdown show on him right so i was studying footage on him every time that he leaned in and somebody leaned in against him they tried to stand in the fire with him they had to back out. They either got dropped, they shot, or they had to retreat. Pantoja comes forward, and he's one of those guys that knows if I bite down, bite down on my mouthpiece, I win these small battles. And that's how, like, you say, well, he doesn't have, like, tremendous striking, but he goes for it. And when he goes for it, he wins. And so it just gives him confidence. So I don't mind him kind of being emotional because look at the two fighters we had. We have the guy that I'm talking about right now, Pantoja, who's got that Brazilian grit, who's an emotional fighter who bites out on his mouthpiece and stands in a fire longer than everyone going up against the Mexican assassin. I mean, look, look, look how good Moreno is. He's got that Mexican fighting spirit, right? I mean, it's like, it's the perfect fight for all of us fans to watch. I mean, it should be a, a tremendous fight. The only thing that can make this fight possibly a dull fight is if Pantoja is able to get him down and body lock him and hold him there for round after round after round, maybe finish him. Who knows? I mean, that's a horrible position for Moreno to get in. But if these two guys are scrambling, like they think they're going to be scrambling and exchanging in the pocket. Um, yeah. Prepare, prepare for 25 minutes of fun for us. Yeah. I think it's going to be like that fight of the night. It's going to be a back and forth battle, but I just, again, I just, as good as Pantoja has been, I just, the way Moreno has continued to get better and learn with every fight it's pretty amazing. Like, it's pretty amazing to see even as a champion, he's continuing to do that, adding new wrinkles to his game, uh, continuing to grow, get better. And I just, again, I don't think there's a big gap between them, but I just think, like, you know, Moreno's slightly ahead of him, just a little bit in the areas where you mentioned those scrambles, where they're going to get in those scrambles. Like, yeah, Pantoja has advantages. I mean, obviously, his jiu-jitsu is world-class. His takedowns are great. And you mentioned getting in the pocket with him is, like, you know, inviting danger into your into your room. But I just think like those little those little tweaks and differences that Moreno has made, and I've also credited again the coaching staff he has that has continued to get him ready for these fights, um, and and continue to make him better in his strategy and game planning. I just think that he knows what Pantoja probably wants to do, and he's going to take him out of that. And I think that's where Moreno has a little bit of advantages. I don't see this being a blowout. I don't see it being a finish. I see this being like a forty-eight, forty-seven. You know that kind of decision for Brandon Moreno. If I'm if I'm picking, that's who I'm picking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think also the long. I, I don't see both guy. I don't see either guy getting finished. Right? Pantoja's never been finished. Moreno's only been technically finished one time by a Pantoja exhibition match. Doesn't go into record, so neither guy's ever been finished. And Moreno is going to try to take this fight into later rounds, right? And so, or well, I just I feel like neither guy's going to get finished. It's going to go into later rounds, and that's gotta. It's got to play into the hand of Moreno because he's he's only been doing five round fights as of lately, and he's been going twenty five minutes on a lot of them. He know he has experience in later rounds. He's the champion, which means he's going to want. He's I'm the championship round winner. He's got to have that mentality going into it. 
it plays into the favor the longer the fight goes, I think, for Moreno, which I think the fight will. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The main event, of course, is an incredible matchup. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky coming back to featherweight to defend his title against Yair Rodriguez. Before we get to the matchup itself, I know these discussions drive us all a little crazy, but it's hard not to talk about it with, with Alexander Volkanovsky. The last time he fought, when he was fighting Islam Makachev, the conversation was, this is the fight for the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. Now... I disagreed with a lot of the voters, you know, and, and, and people who said that, you know, it was a close enough fight and Alexander maintained that number one spot. And I was like, hold on now. They went head to head. Islam won. I thought Islam won. I didn't think it was a controversial decision or anything. And I was like, that's the that's the fight. This time around, the conversation around Volkanovski, and I think it comes up a lot because of the legacy he's building is has he become the featherweight goat? And I think it's a, it's always, anytime you talk about the goat, it's a subjective question. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, and also, I always remind people when we talk about this that featherweight is still a really young division. Like, it's so young when you think about when it got to the UFC. I mean, we've only had like, what, five, five UFC, five featherweight champions. So it's not like we have a huge history, but. The biggest argument always comes down to, you know, Jose Aldo, who had, I believe, seven title defenses, the first featherweight champion. And then, of course, what Volkanovski is doing right now, I think Yair is, is going to be a huge test for him because Yair Rodriguez is that good and he's been around. I think he's gotten better. Where do you fall in this whole conversation? Because this is going to be a narrative that's going to come up this week because Volkanovski has beaten Aldo. He's beaten Max Holloway three times. If he beats Jair Rodriguez, it's going to be hard. Like, I listen, I love Jose Aldo. I, I It's not a knock on Jose Aldo any stretch of the imagination, but I understand why we have to have that conversation now with Alexander Volkanovski. I think he's, I think he's a goat. He is, you know, uh, he, he is so good. And, and you answered my question. You answered, you gave my answer rather. He's beaten Max Holloway three times. <laughs> Not a lot of people. Dustin Poirier beat him twice, but um, he beat Max Holloway three times. He's beaten Jose Aldo. He's starting to almost clean out the division. And with a win, 
on Saturday night. I do think he takes that place at GOAT. Can you say right now maybe he needs more title defenses or something like that? That could be an argument. Okay, Saturday night with a win, I think then he takes that place in line. And I also have to admit, I credit a lot of that, some of it at least partly, to that performance that he had against um, Islam. I mean, can you imagine any other 45er going up and facing Islam? Can you imagine Max Holloway or Jose Aldo or anybody, even in their prime? It doesn't matter. Nobody is going to, it's going to be a bad night at the office. Nobody has ever done that to Islam in the 55, much less the 45 pound division. Wrestled, beat him up, hurt him like that. I mean, um, it, it was such a tremendous performance. I agree. I do think Islam won, but I thought it was, you know, three rounds to two type of thing. Very, very close. Could have gone either way, but I understood Islam winning um, from a guy, Islam, aside from his one loss that he got caught early in the UFC, has just dominated everyone. And then you have a guy like Volk come up, put it all on the line, and, and do that well against him. That really opened my eyes to how good he is, that he could put on the weight and tweak his style, learn the grappling game that much more. When I say learn the grappling game, he's maybe had it, but he made those adjustments, bringing in the jujitsu guys um, and almost kind of putting a blueprint out there for all the up-and-comers, all the next people in line to face Islam. This is what you have to do. Maybe you have to be built like Volk. <laughs> you know, not everybody's <laughs> built like that. And so it kind of played into his advantage, having that low base and just not a lot of, uh, you know, skin uh thin rather uh limbs to, to crank on but um it was so highly impressive in my mind and so i do have him up there and with the win saturday night i think he is the goat yeah and i i think and i know this when i say this people are gonna say man you're really tearing down joe's aldo i'm not but i'm just saying like resume yes aldo has those seven title defenses you can't take that away from him but i also remember and this is this is just the reality of when you start a division it's not as deep it's just not as deep like i say this now listen I, I there's no one that holds a higher regard for a guy like Demetrius Johnson than I do. I think Demetrius Johnson may be the most talented, along with John Jones, the most talented mixed martial artist we've ever seen. The problem that Demetrius had in terms of why I don't put him in like the GOAT conversation of all fighters is because when he fought in the flyweight division until the tail end, he had Joseph Benavidez, who was an incredible opponent, but he had a lot of guys. You know, John Dodson was really good, but you got like the Chris Carriasso fight in there where it's like, you know, did that guy really deserve to be in there? Ray Borg, mm -hmm. quality fighter. Don't get me wrong, quality fighter. Is he really one of the best fighters? You know, and I think that's what Aldo had a little bit early on. Like Mark Hominick, great fighter. Mark Hominick is a great fighter, but would I consider him like an all time featherweight? Probably not. You know, like Korean Zombie, again, Korean Zombie is incredible, incredible fighter, top 10, awesome, but is he a top, you know, Max Holloway, three times you beat Max Holloway. You beat Jose Aldo. You beat Chad Mendez. You know, you you do all these things, and it's like that's that to me is why I have Volk slightly ahead. It's not based on just title defenses. It's also based on level of competition. Holloway beat Aldo convincingly twice when Aldo was still champion. He beat him and then beat him again, and you're right after that. And while I do agree the second fight with Max was a little closer, could have gone to Max, could have gone to Volk, First yep. fight clearly was Volk. There was no question he won the first fight. Third fight was a beatdown. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yep. I've never seen anyone do that. I mean, even Dustin Poirier, when he fought Max at lightweight, he didn't do that to Max. He just, it was, I was stunned. Like, that was one of the most stunning performances I've ever witnessed. So I just think, like I said, it's not a knock on Aldo. It's just when you think, and I agree with you, if he beats Yair this weekend and Yair is that good, 
to me, that cements him as number one. It's not a knock on Aldo. It's a credit to the work that Volkanovski has done. I agree. There's, there's, you know, it doesn't get spoken. We don't speak about it a lot because you don't want to disrespect fighters because that's not the intention. But, um, um, I, I mean, Dominic Cruz was getting a lot of that for a while, you know, where they were saying, you know, he was, you know, a goat in, in, in his division possibly, but then a lot of naysayers were saying, well, you know, he wasn't fighting anybody. It was different weight classes at the time. Um, you see that, you see that a lot. Right. And so I agree with you. I'm such a Josie Aldo fan and, and Josie Aldo's style of fighting was almost more pleasurable to watch. It was just so, so technical and so sharp. And then he would slap on a submission as well. And it was just like, it was like, um, watching Anderson Silva where he was just good everywhere. And just very, just is pleasing to watch. Um, but he also wasn't fighting the caliber competition consistently that we're seeing in Volk. And um, like you said, the, he beat the way that he beat Max Holloway and, and Max Holloway, is, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's still that guy. He's still that guy. He's still that guy out there, but Volk is one higher, you know I mean? If there, if there never was a Volk, we'd probably be talking about Max or somebody like somebody else. Just like if there never was a John Jones, we'd be talking about a lot of other people, but when there's great in the division, it makes you realize how good they are. Absolutely. It's incredible. And this weekend, you know, the other big storyline, which I do, like, I understand, like, when you have a fighter as good as Alexander Volkanovsky, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we've seen with Israel Adesanya when he's fought guys not named Alex Perea, but, like, when he's fought certain guys, you know, we have to talk ourselves into making it a competitive fight, right? Because Israel's so good. Like, when, and it, I don't mean any disrespect, when he fought Jared Cannonier, we had to talk our way into, like, how could Cannonier win this fight, right? Like, how can he do it? Huge power, you know, you brute in the ring, you know. But ultimately, you know, we all knew how good Alex, and so that we do have to kind of talk ourselves into it. It's weird. I see a lot of people like kind of talking themselves into like Yair's much better than people are giving him credit for. Um, he's not. He shouldn't be this big of an underdog. I disagree that 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 he's. I disagree that we need to build Yair up in the same way we build other guys up. I think he is long, rangy, creative nasty striker. I think these are things that are going to potentially give Alexander Volkanovsky headaches. I mean, his, his creativity is a huge weapon of his. You mentioned his last fight with Josh Emmett getting the triangle choke. We saw what happened. I mean, obviously Volkanovsky got caught in a couple submissions for Brian Ortega. Now again, Brian Ortega is the highest of high levels of jujitsu, but those positions could come up again. You know, y- Yair has that body style, that long, rangy body style that, you know, Volk is obviously a shorter, kind of stockier featherweight. I don't need to talk myself into Yair Rodriguez being a legitimate threat in this fight. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to pick him necessarily, but I don't need to be talked into him being a legitimate threat. He is a legitimate threat. He is a very dangerous guy. And also, what I love about Yair, he's never out of the fight. Go back to the Korean zombie fight. Was he losing? Yes, he was losing the Korean zombie. Guess what happened? He pulled off one of the craziest, most insane knockouts of all time. This guy is never out of the fight. So he may be down four rounds to Volkanovski. And guess what? He could still pull something out of the hat and pull off a win. So I don't need to talk myself into believing Yair Rodriguez could pull this one off. I agree that Yair, he's so dangerous, right? He's so good on the feet. Um, what, what, what I'm... What I'm torn on is I feel like there's almost an inconsistency. Like you just saw something that came out from Wonderboy Thompson saying, is Jair Rodriguez the best striker in the UFC or in, or in his division? And maybe it was, you know, 
a topic. Maybe maybe it was a headline, a clickbait, or something like that. But we label him as that. He's that good, and he deserves that, right? He's 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 definitely one of the best kickers and most athletic guys, and takes the most chances. Fearless in there. I mean, he'll go for you know some crazy kick that that'll give up position, but he'll go for that type of stuff. The problem that I have with comparing how good is is he going to be against certain guys is um you talk about the Korean zombie fight. Zombie is somewhat basic on the feet, but very good. But I'm saying it's not going to really surprise you. You know what I mean? And and he his 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 style was beating up Yair for a while, right? Yair was kind of losing that fight up until he was able to come back. And and you and and, and Max Holloway was able to outstrike him. Um, he he never he never he never lost he never he never was down and out like you said so Yair could always come back but when I look at what Volkanovski does well uh, the fundamentals and, and his bo- his posture and his body type and just it's it's a smaller more compact target that's more explosive because Yair has the benefit of staying long and being the faster in and out of range I could kick you and not get kicked I'm going to continue doing this. And just torture you. That's what Yair does to people. But if Volkanovski is a more compact target that you're not hitting the areas that you want to hit because you're hitting more bone and 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 not an open target because he's guarded. And Volkanovski could cover the distance as well as Yair. I think it becomes a tough fight for him. So yeah, does does Yair have a chance to win a hundred percent? Do I think he maybe needs to get this done a little bit earlier? Try to maybe hurt the leg chop the legs, chop the calves. Like he needs to get something like that where he's got a momentum shift in this fight. Because if, if he comes out gun, guns blazing and doesn't really do any significant damage to Volkanovski, throws up some submissions, doesn't get those submissions, the kicks aren't really doing the damage. I see Volkanovski just starting to close the distance as he did it does against Mike's Holloway and as he did, did against Korean Zombie and everyone else that he does. Um, or he'll get in there and he'll he'll he'll, he'll be the better fighter. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's a tough one for me. But where you're you're feeling much more that Moreno is a heavy favorite. Uh, I feel like that one's going to be a closer fight. I feel like this one it could slip away from a year. Uh, yeah, a year a lot more. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, listen, my pick is Alexander Volkanovsky. I just think like the the and I and I mean this with the utmost respect to. Uh, the Yair, but like the fight, like when I look at the featherweight division, the one that kind of scares me, like a fight that would scare me for Volkanovski is Ilya Taporia. Like that guy is a scary, scary a dude. Man. Watching him do what he did to Josh Emmett and credit to Josh Emmett's toughness and endurance, but my God, that was a that was an eye opening performance from Ilya Taporia because you wonder like could that guy go for five rounds? Well, guess what? He can. Uh, that one is one that kind of scares me a little bit because that's yeah. a nasty dude. But yeah, I could I, listen. I I do. I think Yair is that good. I think he is dynamic. I think he's creative. I think he's got a lot of weapons. But Volkanovski's ability to just pick people apart in those situations, and especially if this fight only stays standing, there's just something about Volkanovski's style. Like when you like again, he's he he never fights anyone that's not taller and longer than him. I mean, Max Holloway taller and longer. You know, Brian Ortega taller and longer. Every guy he fights is that's just Volkanovski's body style. And yet he always finds a way to pick them apart on the feet, especially. I've never seen anyone do to Max Holloway what Volkanovski did. And Volk and, and Holloway, I agree with what you said earlier. Holloway's a, you know, I mean, yes, Yair's very good on the feet, don't get me wrong, but 
Max outstruck him on the feet, you know, and and I just yeah. Balkanowski's ability to find a way to close the distance when he needs to and then use his distance. Like he actually has a pretty long freakish reach, even though he's shorter. He has a good reach. Um, his ability to do that, get inside and hurt people. Um, and I agree, the longer the fight goes, the more it's going to favor Volkanovski. Like I just, again, I think I think Yair's got a shot. I don't need to be talked into him having a shot, but ultimately, I don't think I'm really gonna like really seriously question anyone beating Volkanovski until we see that Ilya Taboria fight. Then I might have to sit there and think about it a little bit more. But it just again. I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm wearing rose colored glasses, Alan. But when you when you do what you do to Max Holloway and you do what you did to Islam Makachev, and I know Islam and Yair are like you know polar opposites in terms of styles, but just talent wise, when you can fight a guy that talented and that much bigger, stronger, all those kind of things, and you take him to a razor close to a forty eight forty seven kind of decision, that says something. And I just think Volkanovski is just on a slightly different level. And I just, again, if this ends up being just a striking fight, it ends up mostly being a kickboxing bout, so to speak, I, I just don't see Volkanovski losing. I just think he's just, there's just something about the way he fights guys. They just can't figure, he's a puzzle that has not been solved yet. And I don't think Islam solved it, honestly. Like, I think Islam won, but I don't think he solved the puzzle. Yeah. If I'm in Yair's corner, I'm telling him, commit to, commit compromise you have to compromise Volkanovski. If we could just all those kicks, the body, the head, everything, like I'm not against it, but I would say, look, find those moments where he's leaning heavy on that back on, on that lead leg or backing up when he's backing up after the combination, try to catch him on the counter. If you can compromise the calves, slow Volkanovski down, have him switching stances. This is a whole nother fight, right? But if he's not compromised and, and you allow Volkanovski to look for those counters off of the kicks, then I think that's where it plays into what we're saying. He's just so good at covering distance against taller guys, and he's done it time after time after time again. Why can we think that this time would be any different? He has to compromise him. I think that would be a key to the fight. But as you said, Toporia, <laughs> oh boy, I can watch this guy fight all day long. I mean, it, it, it's very reminiscent of um, Dustin Poirier and, and j just that boxing style. There's a style where he cha he changes the cadence, where he, he'll, he'll, he'll strike at one speed, go to another speed. Um, the, the way that he, he he flicks his punches out there, man, there was something else that I was tweeting about the other day that um that he does very well that reminded me of Dustin Poirier, but it, it's it's just he's got some of the best boxing that I've that seen jab, inside of the octagon. That jab he had, that jab was insane. That is a nasty, and he was doing damage with that jab. He almost like he pushes it out there like a dart, and I think I remember. In that last fight, they were saying he's he, he he's got a slow jab or something, but it wasn't necessarily untrue because he wasn't trying to like go 100 100 on the retraction. But these good strikers, they find a way to kind of find the angle and they'll kind of cheat it out there and they'll kind of push it at the end. And it just it it's like it's like they're driving a dagger. And to you, and, and it does more damage. These guys that are able to do it like that. Some guys have a popping punch. Some guys have a powerful punch. But these guys that drive a dagger into you, they know how to just push everything into it and just do tr tremendous boxing. And um, he was doing that. And the residual effect that you saw in Emmett's face, it showed. I mean, every strike was doing significant damage. I mean, he's. He's so good, man. Does he have a fight lined up right now? Do we know? No, no. He's he's sitting. He's you know he wants the title fight. And I think uh, I don't think I would complain in any way, shape, or form if Volkanovski wins. Him and Tapori is the fight to make, in my opinion.
he's a star man he's 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 got appealing style you know he's he brought the stars out too you know i mean he had so, he had so, soccer players football players coming out to watch him he's i think he he's uh he could be a huge draw yeah i agree i agree so there's a lot more to talk about one thing i want to talk about real quick before we get out of here alan you know in terms of the the ufc 290 card there's two Really good. Well, I would say I would say really good fights, but two really marquee fights in the mid- middleweight division. Of course, Robert Whitaker taking on Drakus Duplessis, potential number one contenders fight with uh, with uh, Israel Adesanya, kind of lingering out there in September. The card in Australia seems kind of hard to imagine one of them winning and then making a quick two one turnaround. We see how tough that is. Henry Cejudo learned that the hard way with his fight booked against uh, Cheeto Vera, and he had to drop out. That's just the nature of fighting. You're not generally ready to go again in two months. Um, and then, of course, we got Bo Nickel making his uh, next appearance in the UFC against Treshawn Gore, one of the top prospects maybe we've ever seen. Can I ask, like, Robert Whitaker, Drakus Duplessis, like, it's such a – it's a fun matchup, but it's almost like – like, to me, like, listen, Israel Adesanya, you know, once he beat Alex, he kind of cleared out every really good contender and that he's already beaten everybody else. And beating Alex was like the boogeyman, and, and he finally vanquished that by knocking him out and getting his title back. He's beaten Cannoneer, he's beaten Vittori, he's beaten Whitaker twice. When they made this match, my first thought was, oh man, like you're going to, because Robert, in, I know we say like in any other world, like in any other world, Daniel Cormier would be the goat light heavyweight if not for John Jones. Well, John Jones does exist. If in any other world, Robert Whitaker would probably be like an eight-time defending middleweight champion right now, but Israel Adesanya exists. I, I don't know, like this was a, a curious bit of matchmaking because I'm kind of like, I just, listen, I like Drakus. I, I think he's a talented fighter. He says some crazy things from time to time. Not going to get into that, but like he's a super talented guy. But I don't see him beating Robert Whitaker. I don't see anybody beating Robert Whitaker unless your name's Israel Adesanya. So it's like this to me is setting it up to be Whitaker like winning, and then are we going to is Israel really going to be interested in the third fight? I guess is what I'm saying. Is he going to be interested? <laughs> I know because he is the best guy in the division aside from the champion Israel Adesanya. And, and so that's the tough predicament. I saw something today that Robert Whitaker has not lost a fight since 2014 unless your name is Israel Adesanya. That's the only guy that he's lost to the entire time. And, I mean, he's been making it, I don't want to say look easy, but he's been doing it with style points, These, you know, all these wins. He's been doing very well. The problem for Drake is Duplessis. As good as he's had a run so far in the UFC, the, it's it's the, the reason that a lot of people aren't giving him a chance is because there's openings. You see the openings. You still see he's being molded. He's still a raw fighter that wills himself to go. The problem with that is when you're a, a push fighter, and, and when I'm saying a push fighter. He he pushes every shot. Um, you know who I see this in as well. Um, uh, what's what's the very popular kid from England with the funny haircut that's good on the ground? Um, they got the Rolex from Drake. Oh, um, um put me um, on the spot. Patty, 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 yeah, Patty. How can I forget about Patty? Patty, Patty's known for his ground game, right? But he's he's got some knockouts, but on the feet. He throws everything trying to knock out his opponent with every punch. And you see him pushing it. And like higher level striking, you don't 
push and try it just kind of a pop or it's a timing where like i'm i'm precision striking and i'm trying to hit you when you're not expecting it but when you're pushing it people see it coming so they get braced for it and you might be landing but you're having to exert a hundred percent energy it's like hitting a heavy bag and they say hit the heavy bag for five minutes as hard as you can it's exhausting but that's why you see the pros they start dancing and flicking and popping and changing the timing and the cadence. And here's 20%. Here's 20%. Get used to 20%. Here's 100%. That's Israel Adesanya. That's Robert Whitaker, right? He's looking for you to not be prepared to condense up. So the point that I'm getting to in all of this, he's gotten this far, Duplassie, on pushing and out muscling his fighters, but you're going against one of the best counter strikers that we've ever seen in the middleweight division. He's as good as Israel Adesanya in those counter strikes. Israel's just a better all around striker, all around fighter, but he's going to be trying to march forward with that style of push, pull everything hard. And it's just going to allow these opportunities for Robert Whitaker to take his chin off. And I wouldn't be surprised if Robert Whitaker was able to sleep him early in this fight. He's going to give him those opportunities with those blitzes. It's just, it's just a drastic change in, in, in just skill level. Robert is, is highly, highly skilled. He's looking for those little minute openings. And there's going to be huge openings in this matchup. Drake's fights was like a weird, like almost rope-a-dope style where he kind of lure, tries to lure you in, but then he leaves himself open. You look at that Darren Till, like there's fights he does that where he just kind of allows himself to get tagged and, and he comes back and he's like, he's inviting you in, but you can't always rely on that, especially against a guy as good as Robert Whitaker. You allow Robert Whitaker to throw off a three-punch combination, you're going to hit the deck hard. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I just, I agree. Like, I, listen, I, I, I don't have anything against Dracus. It's almost no. like too much. It's all, but it's all, it's, it's like, it's like for him, you're almost like take your shot against Israel. I don't like his chance against Israel, but at least then you get championship pay and all that kind of stuff. When they made the fight with Robert Whitaker, I was like, well, there goes his title shot because I just don't see yeah. anybody beating Robert Whitaker, not named Israel Adesanya. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that impressed me as of lately is um you know you know uh, Sean Strickland just had a really good fight right but it was a, against an unproven guy right and Sean just did what Sean does he stayed high high level let this guy kind of let the energy subside and then I'll just do what I do and he figured out you know what well, thing about a boost as much as as much as he's a knockout artist he's not a boxer <laughs> and Sean was like oh once I once I knew this guy had no hands I just punched him um but what I was getting at is um who fought the weekend two weekends before that? Um, uh, Jesus, what's the, what's the guy's name in the top five? Um, always has crystals around his neck. Oh, Jared Cannonier. Thank you, Jared Cannonier. When he beat up Marvin, uh, that was impressive. That was that was a very impressive performance by Cannonier. Uh, what is he? Thirty nine years old. Yeah. Um, I mean that that performance right there said. Okay, this guy's still improving at this age, and he's freakish, freakish, freakishly strong. And he's talking to his camp. They were seeing how he's like started a new strength and conditioning, and he's in the best. So he's somebody that I could see giving some trouble um, to maybe Robert Whitaker again if, if if they fought or something. But yeah, I agree. Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker, and the rest of the guys are fighting to be up there. But Jerry Cannonier is probably the nearest guy I think.
Do you have interest in Adesanya Whitaker three? Like, is there enough there that you want to see it again? Because it's weird. The first fight was, of course, lopsided. Israel beat him, you know, inside two rounds. It was a knockout. Second fight, much closer. Whitaker gave a good account for himself, but ultimately still lost. Um, this feels different than like when Holloway earned a third fight with Volkanovski because the second fight was, I would say controversial, but it, there were definitely people who thought Max won. I actually, at the time, scored Max winning the rematch, but it was close. I had no problem with Volkanovski winning, but I scored it for Max. There hasn't been that with this. Like, Whitaker, did he fight a better fight the second time? Absolutely. Did he win? No. Um, yeah. Would you get excited for a third Whitaker fight? Man, we're going to have to do some WWE here. Uh- <laughs> Whitaker needs to go starch. <laughs> I mean, starch his opponent this weekend, right? He needs to starch his opponent, and he's got to have some sound bites from hell because honestly, I'm in agreement. Like, I I love Whitaker. Like, I could talk so good about him all day long. Is that the fight that people are dying to see? But what else is there? Are you going to throw Sean Strickland in, Strickland in there? I mean, that's what he's saying. New blood, new blood. But is is the new blood better blood? It's not. Sean Trickland is not as good as he looked. He's he's not as good as Whitaker. Whitaker is the next best guy in line. And with this win, he probably does deserve an opportunity. But people have seen it. And people have to be excited about a fight if you're going to sell a fight. The only way to get him excited is to start your opponent, get on the mic, maybe be a little rude, maybe be a little abrupt. But get out there and sell this fight. And that would give me interest. That would give me interest. Maybe... He ch- brings in some new partners. He's got to do something, but it can't be. It it can't. He 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 can't let this fight go to the distance. That's for sure. And you know he he has to prove himself first on Saturday night, and be talk to talk a little bit after to get some uh some people interested in this. Yeah, I know he's not usually that guy, but it kind of reminds me like going back years ago. The whole George St. Pierre thing when he did the, you know, down on his knees begging for the, the rematch with Matt Hughes. And, you know, like you need something to get people interested because based yeah. on based on performance alone. I just I don't like I'm not like I'm not saying like again, Whitaker's the second best guy in the world, but he's also behind Israel Adesanya and, and he hasn't convinced me. He's going to beat Israel. So it's kind of like you got to do something to get us interested. You go out and you just lay waste to Drake is duplicity. And then you grab that mic and you say, I'm coming to Australia. I'm taking my title. You say anything, just say anything to get us hyped Make up. Make me a believer. <laughs> even, even, even if he, ju- even if he just tells me, even if he's lying, but if he just says, I know how to beat Israel, I know what <laughs> I've watched a film. I know what I did wrong. I've corrected it. Me and my coaches have been plotting this for a long time. I will beat Israel. Make me a believer, man. I go, you know what? I believe we're <laughs> I want to see this fight. But if you don't make me a believer, A, from the performance, B, by you telling the fans this fight's going to be 100% different, then we don't really have anything to be excited about. Yeah, I agree. So that point brings me to my other middleweight fight on this card, Bo Nickel and Treshawn Gore. Now, let's let's not disrespect a fighter, but let's also be honest with ourselves about, you know, Treshawn Gore is going to be probably the biggest underdog on this entire card against one of the most prolific, prospects we've had joined the UFC roster uh maybe since Adesanya honestly when Adesanya came in with all the kickboxing experience I was one of those guys who was like "Ooh, I can't wait to see what he could do because I was familiar with his career and glory and other promotions I am a wrestling guy by heart by trade I followed Bo Nichols entire 
you know, collegiate career. I said this a year ago. People went nuts. We were in like a debate show, and I went a little crazy, and I said, right now I pick Bo Nickel to beat Israel Adesanya because I was that high on him. But in all reality, like we talk about new blood. This is what Adesanya needs. He need, like he needs to become the biggest Bo Nickel fan in the world because Bo Nickel could be the guy, and stylistically, he is the opposite of Israel Adesanya. He's a wrestler, dynamic, huge, just unbelievably powerful wrestler, great submissions, great ground game. This is, like, to me, this is the new blood. Like, no offense to Sean Strickland. When Sean Strickland's saying new blood... This is the new blood. This is Bo Nickel. There's a reason why he's opening this pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, but you're right. Bo is the guy. He's so green right now in his career, though, that I know <laughs> from what we've seen, he's probably going to have a tremendous performance, and he's probably going to get the microphone, and he's probably going to do just that. He's probably going to call out Israel Adesanya or put him in as a backup fighter. He's he, he's I think he's smart like that, that he knows how to play the game. Um, and he knows he's a bad, he is a bad matchup. Uh, I think the problem is that he still needs reps. Uh, maybe you put him in there with Izzy tomorrow and he takes him down and he's able to beat him. Who knows? But, but there's still so much of his game that we, I, I need to see because what happens when he faces uber strong Jared Cannoneers or, um, or Robert Whitaker's or something, you know, I mean, there's going to be that, the, those guys in that division that, are going to test them a lot more than these other guys right now. There's going to be a dramatic jump, I feel like, especially maybe even after this fight. What what has he had now? He's had a he's had two Dana White contender series and how many inside the UFC? Do you recall? Just the just a, just just as one, just the one fight. Just the one, second, just, just the one the fight. One. Yeah, just the one, and he's open yeah. pay per view, right? Yeah. Oh man, what a spot! And he's got all eyes on him. I mean, he's got all the momentum in the world, right? It's just you know the toughest thing to do is learning on the job inside the UFC. The guys that excel at it are guys like him, though, that have been at the highest competition in their sport, but now they're coming over. And it's just what happens when he doesn't get these easy takedowns. And, you know, I know he's shown other parts to his game. I know he showed a little bit of jujitsu. Like he, I think he pulled guard or something his last fight. You know, I remember, I remember him surprising me a bit. Um, but it's, it's working out those areas right there because, um, I, I, I've always been like a firm believer, like with the number 10, when it comes to fighting, like 10 amateur fights, you, you level up 10 professional fights, 10 UFC fights. You start facing different competition where everybody has kind of a game, a jujitsu game, an MMA game, something that they're trying to do. I'm trying to get on the inside and set up my right hand, however it may be. Maybe I change up the setup, but my end goal is kind of the same. He's got a game. But we haven't seen him go to plan B or C yet because he hasn't really had to adjust. But those happen. And so in the UFC, he's going to have to eventually learn plan B or, Lance, uh, or plan C. And I'm not saying he doesn't have those in his pocket yet that he's been working on them. But it's another thing to work on something in a gym. Okay, let's see how that jab looks in a stand-up match against Robert Whitaker and actually apply it in, in real time against the best guy in, in the world. So that's my only thing for him. But yeah, I think he's going to do well Saturday night as well. I think it's, you know, a pretty kind of a tailor-made matchup for him against a good guy, but it's just it's made for him to win. Yeah, it's the potential. Potential can be a, you know, a double-edged sword, right? Cuz when you're potential and you don't you don't live up to expectations, then the fall is quite precipitous. You are suddenly, you know, you were never as good as we thought you were, blah blah blah. But the other side is is I mean, again, when you look at his wrestling credentials, again, it's it's kind of the opposite of what Israel Adesanya had, but Israel Adesanya coming in with 
whatever I think he had at the time, like eight pro fights, nine pro fights, but obviously had that huge kickboxing background. Everyone's like, ooh, this guy's going to be a star, and he adapted and did very, very well. That's what I see out of Bo Nickel just on the opposite end with the wrestling. His Because I watched his collegiate wrestling career, and when he when he said he was going pro, and I remember talking to him right after that, I said, listen, I'm not trying to blow smoke because I'm talking to you, but I said, you are going to be a good mixed martial artist because I know your wrestling career. He was a dominant, a dominant top wrestler. He would take you down and just maul you on the green. What weight was pin. he wrestling at? Do you, do you remember? What's that? Do you remember what weight he was at? I don't know. Uh, he was one one eighty. 180 was it 180 was it under yeah it was under 85 i think so well he i believe he i think he went up as the year because obviously started out smaller as a freshman um Mm -hmm. and he went up at penn state but yeah i mean because he was a three-time ncaa champion he didn't win his freshman year and he went on to win three more after that so the um, the only reason that i ask is you know what, what, what jumps out to me when i see him aside from how how good he is um he doesn't look significantly big he doesn't seem like a huge middleweight in my eyes. Um, and I've heard that from guys, too, that train with me. They say he's not really that big, man, but he's obviously tremendous on the mat and has that wrestling, grappling strength. And I wonder if that's going to become an issue as well when he starts to level up against not only the better guys, but bigger, stronger, tougher, all those things that come into, you know, come into play as you start kind of climbing your way up the ranks. Um, that um, that he's not a huge guy. No. I wanted to throw it. I didn't know if he was wrestling so he under was, 185. So he started. I just looked it up to make sure I was right. Yeah. So he started out at one. At, he started out at Penn State at one seventy four, and that's where. Oh. And, and and then he started but there. And he, yeah, and he lost in the in his first year NCAA championships. Then after that, he moved up to one eighty four, which is where he spent the majority of his career. And then his final, his senior year, he moved up to one ninety seven. And oh, wow. he won. He okay. won the NCAA championships against Colin Moore from Ohio State, which breaks wow, my heart as an Ohio State guy. Wow. One ninety-seven. And Colin Moore uh, went on, and he was a finalist in the uh, in the Olympic trials last year. Lost to Kyle Snyder, of course, who is you know Olympic champion and all that. But Colin Moore is a really really good wrestler. And he he beat him, I think, five one in the NCAA championships. So yeah, wow. he went up. I mean, he's and that's I, like certain guys when you wrestle. I say this like I watch a lot of wrestling. Certain guys' style translates better to MMA. Uh, I said this years ago when Ryan Bader and Phil Davis were both coming up. Ryan Bader never achieved as much as Phil Davis in in wrestling, but I said for MMA, Ryan Bader is a better wrestler for MMA than Phil Davis is. I just the style of wrestling. And I said that about this as well. I said that's that's his Bo Nickel was so dominant, that folk style wrestling where you can stay on the ground and dominate people. He pinned people left and right. That was his thing. He was like the, the pin guy. Everyone knew him as the pin guy. That's mm-hmm. what he does. He balls people to the ground. Like you look at Yoel Romero, one of the greatest wrestlers to ever compete in mixed martial arts, but he was a freestyle freak. And in freestyle, you just get a takedown, you get back up again. You're not grinding them on the ground like you do in folk style wrestling. So I just think Bo Nichols built for this man. I'm super, super high on him. I uh, I maybe jumped the gun a bit saying he could be Israel Adesanya right now, but if I'm Israel Adesanya, you become a big Bo Nickel fan because if Bo Nickel lives up to the hype that we all believe he can, that is what Israel needs. Israel needs that guy so he can have like legitimately new blood in there because beyond. I mean, listen, you sat across the table from him. I, it's, I think Sean Strickland's insane, but he's a good fighter. But would I really think he has a great shot of beating Israel Adesanya? No, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, oh, man, he has a great shot. No, he doesn't. He, I just don't believe no. that. And I don't believe anybody does right now. So we need a Bo Nickel to, to, to you know, kind of maybe steal the spotlight a little bit. I agree. I agree. He's got to go do his job. It's just he's going to have to fight frequently, right? Because the champions don't like to fight that often. And they're fighting 
Um, and, and so if he's in his second UFC fight, even with a, even if he has a tremendous victory, you know, I'd like to see, <laughs> I'd like to see Bo Nichols fighting four times a year or something to try to get that, that record where it needs to be to warrant a possible title shot one day. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah. Last thing before we get out of here, Alan, I got to ask We of course, there's a lot of other fights we could talk about in the car, but we know one of the biggest things happening on the prelims Robbie Lawler is returning to take on Nico Price in uh, what he is, what has been touted as his final fight of his career. Uh, Robbie's a legend. I'm just curious, Alan. You're around. You were in the weight class. What is your favorite Robbie Lawler fight? Oh well, I mean, I think it's the one that got inducted to the <laughs> Hall of Fame, right? Uh, I mean, uh, that that fight. Um, why am I blanking on his opponent? Roy McDonald. Name? Roy McDonald. Roy McDonald. Thank you so much. I mean, that that fight right there was one that. Um, if what I loved about it was, I, even if you're not a fight fan, you could watch that and and you and you see what's going on. It's a it's 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 a it was a movie. These guys meeting in the center of the octagon and spitting blood and dripping like that and just it, it was a movie type moment. Now you take all the, all of us fight fans and then like for me, you ask me in particular, like I'm watching these welterweight guys that are the highest of the level. And that was like that, that was Rory McDonald when he was the guy that's going to put a jab in your face and going to out wrestle you. And he was so technically sound and Rory McDonald was just the gritty guy that, that, that could just do it all. He was the veteran. He had the smooth power punches, always had beautiful, beautiful hands, you know, and jumped around in weight classes, found, came back to the UFC and found his mark. But, um, a thousand percent, that was a tremendous fight. And I think that, uh, very hall of fame worthy. Yeah, I, I, I agree that was the legendary one, but I always say my favorite one, which is because it's one of my favorite fights of any history, any mixed martial arts history, not just Robbie Lawler, was this matchup with Carlos Condit. That was all-time. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is an all-time fight. I That was just an epic, epic war. I could have gone either Another way. fight of the year, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just, oh, my God. I, I watched that fifth round between those guys not that long ago, just getting ready for this event. I was like, my God, that was a fight. Like, I always say it. I think that was the turning point for both those guys' career. I think they left a piece of their soul in the cage that night because when you look after that fight, like, he got knocked out by Tyron Woodley in his very next fight. Carlos mm. was never quite the same again. His kind of his chin started going a little bit, and he just ne- – I think they both – I think they literally, like, ended their careers in a way that night. Like, they took something out of each other so much that night that they just never were the same again. And uh, that, to me, is like – and but that's like – you could go through a list of Robbie Lawler fights, man. That guy has a career built on incredible knockouts and barn burners that guy was just that dude man Robbie and we're gonna miss him man Robbie's like Robbie's like the quietest dude in the world he hates doing interviews hates doing media but boy does he go out there and put on some fun fights yeah yeah I mean it's almost 
it's almost easier when guys like this don't fight as fre- frequently. You get used to not seeing them, you know, and they kind of slowly work their way out because like when, when you think about them being in their prime, like I remember when Cowboy a couple of years ago was like starting to, you know, talk about hanging them up one day. And I was like, I, I, I can't even imagine the UFC without a Cowboy Cerrone. It's like, he is what we are with the UFC. And then he started losing and slowing down and this and that. And we go, okay, yeah, you know what? I think it's, it is time for him. And, um, and I don't mean that in a negative way for either of them, but I think it is time for Robbie as well. I mean, we're close to the same age, you know, and so I know he, he's getting up there in age and and um, fighting all these wars, these tremendous battles over the years. It's taken an effect. And guys still have that fight in them, but if they're not able to show you exactly who they are because they're not quite as fast anymore or they can't quite take the damage as much anymore, they're not re- they're not really who they were. Then they're not like they're not showing you that you know, like that. That's not really the full Robbie Lawler that we're getting anymore. If he's banged up and the damage is, you know, the chin's not quite there and and all that. So I'd rather. That's why I hung him up because when I knew I wasn't giving people like how, full Alan Joven anymore, I go look, it's time, it's time. So I'm glad he's doing it, man. And um, you know, he's earned everybody's respect in his sport, so it's okay for him to let it go. Make me feel a little bit old here. My first ever UFC, which was not a good night for Robbie Lawler, but I always remember this. My first ever UFC event I attended was UFC 47 in Las Vegas in 2004, and that was the night that Nick Diaz knocked out Robbie Lawler. Uh, that was oh, Chuck, yeah. Liddell, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz won. The little hook uh, when they were... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that tells you, like, that's how long Robbie's been at this level for over over 20 years at the UFC level, not 20 years in a career, 20 years at the UFC level. That tells you how long he's been doing this. Like, it's crazy when you think about that, like at that level. And yeah, he left the organization, did some other things. But I mean, come on, like, that's an insane career when you put that in that perspective over 20 years at this level. Wasn't that fight? Was it was that fight at fifty five or seventy when when he got knocked uh, out? Fifty five. That was I, I, I believe like fifty five. I feel I believe it was a, I believe it was a fifty five. But I, I, I feel to like it try. was too, which is crazy to think that Robbie went from fifty five to seventy to eighty five. Had a career in strike force, came back down to seventy, became the champion. He's had such a long career, but same thing, man. I I remember the early Robbie fights. Um, thinking, like when I was just learning who he was, man this dude's hands like just the way that he would throw his hooks and bite down on his mouthpiece it was like right away oh i'm a fan of this guy you know he's gonna bring it every time yeah you could not be you could not not be a fan of robbie lawler no matter what uh alan it is always a pleasure to have you on the show i really appreciate it uh obviously uh you're always busy you mentioned you were just traveling this past weekend what do you got coming up next man i'm staying home for about a week and then uh I think I'm Apex. I'm trying to look at my calendar now. Apex in it for a bit, man. I'm I've, I bought I bought I got some tickets. I'm not working it, but I'm going to Utah to the BMF fight. I want to go show some support for Dustin. Um, you know, I mean that that card in particular is just going to be insane. I think Kies is on that card. I mean, there's so many people, but I mean people that I'm I know or work with or and whatever. So we're gonna go show some support on that one, man. I and and um, it should be tremendous, man. I'm looking forward to it. I got my vacation right before that card and I cut my vacation short by a day or two so I could come back 
to cover UFC 291 because I'm like, I'm not missing Poirier yeah. Gaethje too. Like I was like, I'll cut my vacation short by a couple of days because I need to be here for that fight. Like there, I just, I like, <laughs> I should have been gone through the following Monday. I'm like, nah, I'm coming back a few days early because I need to be there for that fight. Like I need to see that fight. So we're going uh, on vacation right after. So like <laughs> it's the same thing. I was like, we had to figure things out, but we wanted, we wanted to go to this one. Even my wife was like, babe, we got to go to this card. I'm like shit. If my wife is telling me we got to do it then. So we're going, man. You, you have a prediction on that one? Man, you know what? Like, I think I think there's something about this matchup that will always make me lean towards Dustin Poirier just because his boxing is so good. And Dustin's gotten much better about not taking as much damage, which I think is a huge benefit for him. But I don't know, man. There's something about Gaethje's mindset. Maybe this is just, again, because I talked to him after his fight with uh, – physique but like there was just something about his mindset where he's just like i don't know there's a certain focus in him and 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 he has been fighting a little bit differently in terms of you know the damage he's taking and not necessarily just getting into barn burners i lean i, I don't know like my my head tells me poirier like i just yeah. I, I but i but i i've yet to pick against poirier and anyway i picked him to beat i picked him to beat charles Oliveira. you know like oh. i i rarely pick i i don't i can't remember the last time i picked against dustin poirier but I don't know. I have a gut. I just have a gut feeling that maybe Gaethje can pull it off this time. So I guess mm. maybe, maybe I, again, this is maybe me talking myself into it because I don't pick against Dustin Poirier. I picked him to beat Connor. I picked him to beat Oliveira. Uh, now I will say, I, I don't think I picked him to beat Khabib. Maybe I did stop there. Maybe that was the one I didn't pick him with, but I picked, I'd never pick against Dustin. So I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of talking myself into thinking Gaethje's got a shot here. I get it. I mean, with these two, they've always got a shot. I obviously, you know, I'm a fan and a friend of Dustin, but um, also just from an analyst point of view, someone who's trained with him as well. Um, yeah, I think I mean he's he's really, he's really just 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 found his own right now. He just he knows the sport so well. He's so confident. He's got a win over him already. And as um, and as much damage as Dustin has taken in his career, he still takes it so well. You know, talking to uh Mike Brown this weekend, I was asking him about Dustin. He goes, the thing about Dustin is. I got to have him spar 85ers because he just wears down the 55ers. And even the 70s, you have to get bigger bodies because he hits so hard. And he just comes in there and beats guys up and he's just dropping guys left and right. He's one of those type of guys. He's not like a dickhead inside there, but he's just a fucking bruiser, man. He's just so good. And so, you know, I felt that before training with him. To hear that from Mike in training camp right now, he's sitting down 85ers. Hard to go against them, man. The Pori is a monster. Like I said, it kind of it, it, it that tells you the depth of lightweight, though. That like he's never been an undisputed champion because, like in my world, like I like I like, and that's I don't mean any offense whatsoever to Charles Oliveira. Like when that happened, when that was going into it, it's was like Charles is the champion, but I think Dustin's the best lightweight in the world. Like he doesn't have a belt, but he's the best lightweight in the world. Now Charles went out there and did his thing and got the win. That was an, incredibly impressive. But like that's that's the heartbreaker about this division. Like there's been a couple of moments where I was 100% confident Dustin Poirier was the absolute best guy in the world. He just didn't have the belt. That tells you how deep this division is, though. Like I, I, he would probably be a pretty heavy underdog to Islam Makachev. That's how good Islam is. Like that's not a knock on Dustin, but that tells you, man, this is a free. Like when you think of that, Dustin Poirier, not, not, neither Dustin nor Justin has ever been an undisputed lightweight champion. When you say when you mm -hmm. say that, that seems insane. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I mean. 
If Dustin could fight uh, full rules but no rear naked chokes, he would definitely be, <laughs> <laughs> be undisputed. Damn it. Uh, uh, it I, I, like I said, I, I never pick against it. Like I said, the Khabib fight might be the one. I think I, you know what? Going back, I think I may have actually picked him to be Khabib. I'm not, I'm not trying to revisit history, but I think I actually did pick him to pull off that upset. And, you know, Khabib mm. is what it is. But I never pick against Dustin. That's why I said, like, this time, like, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I just, I never, I never pick against him. Okay, real quick, man. I know I'm dragging this on. We're going long. Um, since we're talking about it, I'm interviewing the writer now. Um, where does Khabib sit in your top five? Since we talked about depth and we talked about consistency over years, you mentioned that in in your, with Demetrius Mighty Machanta. And how do you apply that to how you rank Khabib in the all time? You talking about all time, all time, not just lightweight. You talking about all time goat. Either one, well, like yeah, in your in, in your Mount Rushmore, because um, yeah, just because it, it you know, that's kind of the, the 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 argument that people have against Khabib that you know, he only fought a couple times, he only defended the belt for a little while. Uh, where is he? Yeah, if you're putting all time all time list, I put him four or five probably. Um, John Jones to me is number one. Yeah, uh, George St. Pierre, George St. Pierre probably number two. Um, Same. I still put Anderson up there. Um, Same, and. I think Khabib falls somewhere right around that area, four or five. I'd a pretty to, similar list. Yeah. I'd have to think about it, like to think about like where would I put, you know, I mean, listen, you know, I don't disregard what Fedor did when he was at his best because um, heavyweight is such a, you know, snake pit, hard to, you know, hold on to anything. Even I know it was a different promotion, but what Fedor did can't be forgotten. Uh, Demetrius, again, Demetrius Johnson, talent-wise, I just think, unfortunately, Demetrius just didn't have the resume, and that's what hurts Khabib. He retired undefeated, but and he did have impressive wins on I me mean, beat going on that streak of beating Connor, Gaethje, and Poirier in a row is a big deal. But the longevity is kind of like the hurt what hurts him. He doesn't have that long streak of like, you know, beating the top guys for three or four years straight. And so I can't put him with GSP right. and Jones. Um and Especially the level because Every two years, we see a new entity in the sport that we go, oh shit! I mean, look at look look at all the new guys coming up in a division now that he would have been facing. But yeah, go on, please. Yeah, so I just but, I but, think, but I think yeah, three, I think four, five, four, five, depending on how it's because one, two, three to me is is Jones, GSP, and Anderson. Like that to me is kind of hard to beat. And then after that, it's a little bit of a debate. Yeah, yeah, I think um, you know DC always puts could be first. And he kind of uses the PED things as, as like a scapegoat, but um, I think he kind of just uses that because I think it's hard not to say that John Jones is obviously the most talented fighter we've ever seen. When you look at the resume um, and, and the longevity and just the sense of like martial arts mindset that GSP applied, adapting and changing his style, becoming one of the best wrestlers from a karate background. Anderson Silva, just when I think of uh, like the golden years of the UFC, Chuck Liddell years, Anderson Silva years, when he was the baddest man on the face of the earth. Uh, and then somewhere in there is Habib. And then I think it's a Demetrius, Mighty Mouse Johnson, and Amanda Nunes fighting for fifth or something like that. Um, yeah. And I don't, I'm also one of these people, I don't subscribe to the idea that you have to jump weight classes to have that kind of dominance. But when you do it, I can't ignore it. And John Jones going up to heavyweight, being Cyril gone, like, you know, he was a, like, he wasn't even there. Like, he just walked through Cyril gone, who was a really good heavyweight fighter. Now, Starched obviously, him. we got to see him fight Stipe or, you know, maybe he fights Sergey, whatever. We'll see if he continues to have that kind of dominance. But then, you know, you look at it, he beats all those guys like heavyweight. You think about, 
you know, George St. Pierre going up and doing a 185 against Michael Bisping. He was a really, really good fighter beating him. You think about, uh, you know, Anderson, even though he never became champion, what he did to Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner and James Irvin, those fights. So James I don't, Irvin? I, yeah, I like it, yeah. man. So I don't disregard, like, I don't think Habib needed to go there, but I would have liked to have seen him fight. Like, we saw him fight one wrestler, which was Justin Gaethje, and Justin Gaethje's not really a wrestler. It's not what he does. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's, and again, that's, you know, we never got like Gregor Gillespie never got there. I would have loved to have seen a guy like Gregor. Could he have gotten there? Maybe given him some problems. I always thought Kevin Lee for the longest time. I thought, man, if Kevin could get it all together, he's got that wrestling, that, that dynamic grappling. Could he give, could be problems. Uh, but you know, like I would have loved to have seen him take those kind of challenges. Like, could you imagine Usman against Khabib? Like that would have been a really yeah. intriguing fight to me. Just little things, like when you're talking about that that conversation, the greatest of all time, that to me is what separates. It's just the little things, and that's where it is with Khabib. Like, he did, again, he doesn't need to go up and wait, but I would have liked to have seen him pushed a little bit more longer. You know, longevity means a lot. You look at John Jones. I was at the fight when he beat Shogun. Who? That was in 2011. We're in 2023. Yeah. It's 12 years he's been the best in the world. That's a long time. That's why it's not even a question. I agree. <laughs> and and you look at all the things that happen up and down throughout his career and possible nights he might have been off. Didn't he say he, he like did some cocaine a couple of nights before yeah. one of those fights and still won? <laughs> like, I'm just saying, and he still dominated. Think of Khabib. Like, what if Habib never really had an off night, but then he had an off night? Like, the longevity is what shows that when you could still be the best in the world on the off nights, when you break your toe like John Jones and you're still able to dominate or do some cocaine the night before. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know what I'm suggesting? I'm just saying. He had a tremendous career, but we didn't get to see what would happen through the path, the journey that is being a, a long reigning champion. And I understand you'll, you'll, I mean, Daniel Cormier is a good friend of mine. I loved it. I've, no, I've loved DC. I was the first guy to interview him when he decided to go from wrestling to MMA. I'm always very proud of that fact. I was the first, cause I knew him from wrestling. I loved him, loved DC. And I understand his opinion. And I used to have that same opinion. When you get, you test positive, you get a little asterisk next to your name and it's harder for me to rank you. But in recent couple of years, I've kind of let that go. And, and the main reason being this is that while I respect what USADA does and I respect the drug testing that goes on in this sport, for me to pretend that John Jones didn't fight guys who were on something at some point in his career, I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying, like, are we going to be foolish enough to believe at some point he didn't fight a guy on TRT, which was totally legal at one point? You know what I mean? He fought, he fought Vitor, who was way on TRT. Now, I know Vitor was a 185er going up, but let's come on now. I mean, that guy had enough testosterone to run like a third world country, and he was in jail too, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, like, are and, we going to uh, pretend that he didn't? But... Are we going to pretend that he didn't fight guys who were probably on? something so no. i used to i used to be i used to subscribe to that same mentality i've kind of let that go though because i'm just like you know what like talent is talent and you know d could you have an unfair advantage sure but i i yeah. guarantee you there's guys john jones beat who were juiced on something you know what yeah. I mean? didn't get and caught just, like i mean not necessarily trt but you know you saw this lenience towards certain things that have kind of wavered up and down yeah. it's like this now this is legal but it used to not be legal and based yeah, on it, based on usada's rules what john says is right what you based on the current usada rules and the whole nanogrammes, which is a word that we will never forget in mma history now because of john mm -hmm. jones uh he wouldn't have tested positive because the lowest yeah. amount that he had would not have qualified for the current usada testing so he's not wrong like he's not like does it mean that he didn't do something no but he's not wrong that 
based on the current rules, like the, the, the goalposts have moved, you know what I mean? Like they have moved the goalposts. And so, yeah, I just, I just can't hold on to it. And like, you know, like with Anderson, like, did he test positive later in his career? Yes, he did. Do I think he was on something his entire career? I really don't. I just think he was just that much better than everybody else. But like I said, dude, I maybe it's the Nick Diaz thing kind of bleeding into my brain. Everybody's on steroids. Uh, so yeah. I've just kind of let go of that whole, like, I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything, but I've stopped using that as, like, the reason I won't rank somebody. I think it's just the easiest way to think about it. When you think about who's the GOAT, who in your mind – triggered something right who'd you say this guy is incredible i've never seen anything like it and that should be it you shouldn't have to think well wait did he ever fail a test and did you saw to ever retract that rule or did they lose five at the end of their career when they were really on the down end of their career like th- that stuff doesn't matter right the where they were when they were the best were they the best in the world for that amount of time and who they fought and all that that's what the first thing that comes to mind should be what you think i think and those are the guys that we picked uh, from that list those are the ones that come to mind Jones, GSP, and Anderson. I think it's going to take a lot. And I think probably the closest is maybe Adesanya. But, you know, again, he got knocked out cold by Pereira. I mean, well, not, not knocked Set out cold, back. but he got knocked out. Again, these are the little things. Like, these are the little things that, like, come, you know, that kind of, like, with GSP. Like, did he get, like, did he come back and avenge the loss to Matt Sarah? Yes, he did. But did he still lose to Matt Sarah? Yeah. So if I'm looking at him and Jones, like, that's the difference. Like, Jones has never had that happen. Jones has never lost. Yeah. I'm sorry, Matt Hamill. You didn't really beat John Jones. John Jones is like the closest anyone ever came was Alexander Gustafson, and he still won that fight. You know, so it's by like the way, it, it was downward elbow, right? The, the, yeah, the, 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 the okay, twelve to six. We, yeah, I, I I saw at the fights last weekend. Um, one of the guys was throwing a tomahawk elbow, which for like our viewers is you know just kind of like coming. Uh, in a circular motion downward, but it's still not really a down. I mean, really, we all know that, like the story of why they say that rule, somebody would break an ice or something like, but a tomahawk air elbow is still kind of like in a forward motion, but he got warned and I, I it, it almost upset me. I'm like, come on, let, let people throw tomahawk elbows, let people do all kinds of crazy shit. That's not ice breaking. And, and it's, it's not even 12 to six, but, um, I know that rule. That rule is kind of ridiculous, but I, I would see it. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I know I'm going, going on a tangent, but if you're in that position that John Jones is in, and you mounted somebody, and you're throwing a downward elbow to their eyeball, their eye socket, then maybe we think about, okay, this could be dangerous. But if you if you're standing on the feet, you should be able to throw an elbow in whatever the hell angle you want. Yeah, I just opinion. like I said, I just yeah, I know, I just again, I no offense to Matt Hamill. You know, that's not a real, that's not a win. Like he didn't, you know, that's not to me, that's not a win. So yeah. And again, John's just never been. So that's why I said, it's, it's those little things. And I said, with Khabib, I love Khabib. He, he retired undefeated, but you know, he was the, the best guy in the world for about two and a half to three years. Like that's, that was his window. John Jones is still in his window and we're like 12 years in, you know what I mean? Like that George St. Pierre, welterweight, unbelievable division, nine title defenses, beating guys like Johnny Hendricks, beating guys, you know, like Josh Koscheck, doing the things he did when he was on top of the world, man. He was just, he just seemed untouchable. Uh, and beating guys 50-45, you know, 50-44, just total domination. Um, yeah, so that's the, just little things that separate him. Like I said, I think Demetrius Johnson might be the second most talented fighter we've ever seen alongside John Jones. Just Demetrius, to me, doesn't have the resume. He just doesn't have yeah. the record. You know what I mean? So that's where, like, I put Demetrius and Khabib right around that same four or five spot. I'm not mad at you. Our 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 uh, lists sound pretty similar. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, Alan, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. I appreciate you doing this, especially on short notice. Uh, enjoy some downtime with the family at home. Uh, we always appreciate you coming on the show, and we will uh, we will talk to you again soon, all right? Sounds good, brother. Appreciate it. Hey, talk soon. Take care. That is our show for this week with the fighter versus the rider. Of course, Matt Brown will be back next week. We'll talk to him about how his guy – Josiah Harold does this weekend as he takes on Jack Della Maddalena. And uh, as always, we appreciate everyone that tunes in each and every week of the show. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. And we will have you locked in all week long for UFC 290 coverage live on the scene from Las Vegas. Thank you again to Alan Joban for co-hosting the show this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.